I'm so glad to be able to welcome you to this last of our Christmas Eve services. Thanks for being here tonight and wrapping up your Christmas Eve with us in a celebration of God's Word and the Sacrament of Communion. And we are also getting close to wrapping up a, a quite a singular year, aren't we? And I know we look back upon this year, uh, it's been hard in many ways, but I have to say there's been really some very wonderful high points, at least in our household. And without a doubt, the highest of the high points for me has been being a first-time grandpa. Our beautiful Cece turned one-year-old in October, and there is nothing like hearing your granddaughter call you Papa for the first time, or reading her favorite book about a dragon for the thousandth time, or holding her in your arms as she falls to sleep. I'm telling you, it makes you want to just stand up and cheer. Very much like this, as a matter of fact. It makes me laugh every time. That high pierced screaming that you were hearing, that was me. <laughs> I feel so fortunate that Cece and her family live near us because I can never, never, never get enough of her. There's a painful side to this sweet story, though, too, because Cece's other grandparents have never seen her in person. They are Brazilian, they live near Sao Paulo, and COVID has made it nearly impossible for them to come to us or for our kids to go to them. So they FaceTime regularly, they talk to her, they have, they know, she knows their voice, but they have never held her, they've never kissed her, they've never touched her beautiful curly dark hair, and we aren't even sure when that will happen. And if you are grandparents, that's pretty awful, isn't it, grandparents? Isolation may be the single cruelest byproduct of this whole COVID mess. Other things get way more airtime. The maskers versus the non-maskers. The vaxxers versus the non-vaxxers. Mandates and all of the debate around that and the fearsome Omicron. All of these get more attention, but the real tragedy of COVID is isolation. It's people who are sick and dying alone. People who are vulnerable and terrified and lonely and even their closest family members cannot be there to comfort them in person. That's the tragedy. At times, COVID has almost made it impossible for me to do my job, to be able to go and visit and pray for the sick and the dying. And what seems to me like one of the most ridiculous moments occurred when I tried to visit a hospice, not a hospital, hospice. The place was sectioned off with big chunks of plastic. There was duct tape everywhere and air pressure machines. And when I came in, they took my temperature and took a questionnaire and put me in a gown and, and in gloves and in a mask and passed me through two airlocks before I could reach the man that I was trying to visit. And I remember thinking as I was going through all of this rigmarole, you do know what a hospice is, right? Hospice is where people go to die. Hospice is when you have given up trying to save them. They are sick unto death. The whole point of hospice 
is to provide comfort care. And nothing is more comforting than the presence of, the touch of a loved one, and you are making it almost impossible for me to provide that touch. COVID introduced us to a new phrase, put a new phrase into our lexicon, social distancing. The plastic sticker companies have made a killing. Every store has circles on the floor telling you where to stand to ensure that you don't get too close to another person. And this is intended for our good health and for the health of others. But this very idea of this enforced separation, of keeping a fearful distance from other human beings, promotes what I think is the fundamental human degradation, loneliness. Mother Teresa famously put it this way, loneliness is the most terrible of human poverty. So if ever there was a moment in our lives when we are keenly aware of the longing to be welcomed and received and embraced and touched and loved in person, it is right now. Many of you and throughout these last two days have been in the sanctuary are here for the first time in months, perhaps even years, and you just reached a point where you said, I need to be there in person. I need to sing with others and see others and smile at others and lift my candle with others. There's this deep human longing for community, for relationship, to be face to face, and God understands that. And he understood that 2,000 years ago. He is the one who created this world. He saw the mess that we are in, how humanity had rebelled against him and the resulting chaos and it, and it broke God's heart because he loved us and he decided to fix us. Now God is God, presumably God could have fixed us any way that he wanted to. He could have wrinkled his nose, he could have done one of these things, he could have snapped his fingers and it would have been done. But God didn't choose to fix us in any ways easy way. He chose instead to come in person, in the flesh, right into our midst. God said, I'm going to enter fully into the human experience. I'm going to drink deeply of every aspect of human life, of the dregs of the pain as well as the, the depths of their joys. And that's what we believe Christmas is really all about. It is not just a delightful, winsome story about a baby that is born in a in a stall somewhere 2,000 years ago. It is the story of divine visitation. It is the story of a God who looked upon a pandemic, a pandemic of sin that had swept the world and infected every single soul, and he decided not to remain socially distant. He decided to come near and save us. So I want to read one more part of the Christmas story from Matthew's Gospel chapter 1. Beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our daughter Rachel, who is back with us for Christmas, my favorite Christmas present. Rachel is the Dean of Spiritual Formation at Montreat College in North Carolina. Uh, the pastor, but way more than just the pastor of that campus. And, uh, and really Rachel is, she's the real theologian in this family. She actually knows stuff. When Rachel went to seminary near Boston and they had the opportunity to take elective classes while they were there at Harvard University. And so Rachel decided that she would take an elective called papyrology. How many of you took papyrology when you were in college? Yeah, me neither. In case you're not quite sure what papyrology means, it is the study of papyri, of tiny little fragments of ancient Greek writings. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> yeah. The final exam for this class amounted to this. The students walked into a room and they found there a table and at each of the chairs was a glass enclosed fragment of some ancient rare manuscript fragment. And it could be from any variety of sources. It could be from the Greek poet Homer. It could be from the Greek philosopher Socrates. It could be some ancient mystery religion text. And their instructions when they came into the room was pick one and read it. And so Rachel picked one. This is the one she picked. Literally, that is the one. That is the piece. And she sat down and she began to peer. Go ahead, join us in peering. She peered at this faded and fragile document. And she later told me as she did so, she became emotional because the first word that she made out was Emmanuel. So I've highlighted it there so that you can't read it either. I couldn't. <laughs> But that's what it says, Emmanuel, in the highlighted section. And the more she looked at it and began to decipher it, the more she realized what she was looking at. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Of all the fragments that she might have chosen on that December day, Rachel picked this passage from the ancient gospel of Matthew. And this piece was all that remained of the gospel. And yet those 12 words were the gospel. The good news of Christmas. The summary of the Christmas story might be captured in just three words. God with us. And Rachel said it was the best Christmas present she'd ever received. This is what we believe. This is what this night is about. The, the child in the manger is nothing less than the creator of the universe. The Lord of all. And you think about that. Such love, such humility. It's almost unfathomable. In fact, there are many who would say that it is unthinkable. It is ridiculous. It is even scandalous. Rachel told me of another story. She was on a flight headed back home and she happened to be seated next to a Turkish man. Rachel's been to Turkey several times and so and she loves Turkish football so they engaged in a great conversation about what the best Turkish football team might be. Sooner or later though it turned from soccer to uh, theology. 
And this Muslim Turk asked Rachel a very sincere question. Here it is. He asked her, how can you Christians possibly believe that God would have a son and be a human being? Allah is all-powerful and glorious. He would not do such a thing. It is beneath him. Well, I guess it's not. I guess it's not beneath him. One of my favorite theologians says that Christmas is the story of a God who belittled himself. He calls Christmas the great stoop. And I love that. God making himself little. God stooping down to our level in order to be with us. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, once said, if you want to wrap your mind around the incarnation, what that really means, this idea that God would become a human being, then just imagine how you would like to be turned into a slug. But that's what God did. He knew of our longing for relationship. He knew of our need for connection. And the Lord of the universe decided it was not beneath him to become human, to be little himself in order to be with us. My life group was talking about this passage a couple of weeks ago about how important human contact is. And one of our guys reminded me of a ministry that his father had in his retirement. His dad, Dick, felt called by the Lord to be a rocker. We're not talking about a long-haired guitar player. Dick was volunteered in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, to rock preemies. You might think, what difference could that possibly make? These little babies have no awareness of what is going on. They're barely clinging to life. They have tubes and lines that are coming out of their poor little bodies. But in fact, they have discovered the power of human touch, that these preemies do better when they are held and rocked. And so Dick would go into NICU, gown up, and rock these babies for hours at a time. It was a great story. It was very inspiring. I thought, oh, there's a sermon illustration. And then another man spoke up. He said, Bart, your dad rocked my son. And he went on to tell how his boy had been in NICU for six months and in the hospital for 18 months. He'd had two-thirds of his little colon removed and he was given a 15% chance to live And Dick came in day by day and rocked that little guy back to life. And his dad said, I was working, I was going to school, I couldn't be with my son all of the time. To know that there were people holding him and rocking him and loving him, it was such a gift. As I said, if ever there was a moment in our lives when we need to be reminded of the preciousness of such a gift, the preciousness of a God who loved us so much that he belittled himself, that he stooped down, that he came in person to be with us, to embrace us. Surely this is that moment. God refused to remain socially distant. He left the safety of heaven and entered fully into this messy, broken, sin-infected world. That's what he did on Christmas. Now that's what he did The question remains, what will you do? How will you respond to this? If it is true that that Christmas is indeed the story of, of God with us, if you are understanding that perhaps for the first time, what should you do about that?
A few years ago, Cindy and I uh, visited Oxford, England. We wanted to go and see the university where pastors Rachel and Ellis met and fell in love and wed and went to school. But I had a secret mission because I, I, I knew that one of the most famous Christian paintings was hanging in the back room, a little side room of the Keeble Chapel. It was forbidden to go in there. But I got into the church and there was no one watching and so I snuck inside because I wanted to see this. I'd always heard about it. It's a work by William Holman Hunt. It's called The Light of the World. And it's based on Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And I wanted to see that picture. And if you'll look closely at the picture, take a closer look, you'll notice there's something missing. This is kind of the punchline of the painting. Do you notice what is missing on that door? Yes, who said that back there? A little voice, a doorknob. There is no doorknob on the outside of the door. And of course, the point of the painting is this. Jesus patiently knocks on the door of your life. He wants to be with you. He has come to be with you, but he is a gentleman. He will never barge in. And the only way he will enter into your life is if you open the door from the inside and invite him in. And so Christmas, this service, these candles and carols and these beautiful music that all have created for us tonight, they are a reminder that God belittled himself to come into our world, to be with us, to save us, and to guide us into the life for which we were created, the life that we were destined to live. Christmas is nothing less than that. Emmanuel, the God who refused to remain socially distant. The God who came to be with us and patiently knocks upon the door of your life. You know, I, there's a punchline to this story that I had never heard until this last week. This Hunt painting was painted back in the 1850s and after 100 years, the primary picture was hanging in St. Paul's in London. After a hundred years of air pollution, it was filthy and needed to be cleaned. And so they sent it to a professional restorer about mid-century, last century. And he took the whole thing apart, removed the frame, and in doing so discovered something that no one was ever meant to see. Because along the bottom of the painting, beneath the molding, the artist had written the words, Forgive me, Lord Jesus, that I have kept you waiting so long. How about you? You might have heard this story many, many, many times before. You might have been at Christmas Eve services many, many years in a row. And yet you're keeping the Lord Jesus waiting. Would this be the night when you might say, come in. Come in. You know, it's remarkably easy for us to do so. It's just with a simple prayer a prayer that could be summed up in three words. Sorry, thank you, and please. Say, sorry, Father, for turning my back on you and going my own way. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, for dying, for rising again to new life and saving me. And please, Holy Spirit, would you enter in now and do that work of salvation and create in me the destiny for, for which I was made. I know there are a lot of folks here, especially at this service, who already know the Lord, have already opened their hearts to Him a long time ago, but I can't believe there aren't some here who 
have come for a long time. Maybe it's ritual. Maybe you're obliged to come because of your family. What a shame it would be if I didn't provide you the opportunity to invite Jesus in to your heart. Emmanuel, the one who has come to be with us tonight. So I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes as a courtesy, even if you maybe don't believe this, as a kindness to those around you. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and in a moment I'm going to lead us in that simple prayer, but before we do so, maybe a moment for us just to reflect on what the Lord might be saying to you. This is the night we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And that God patiently knocks on the door of your heart and said, would you let me in? Would you let me restore you to what I created you to be? Would you let me deliver you from the shame that you've been carrying way too long? Would you let me? And if your answer is yes, I want that, then pray this simple prayer with me. I'm sorry, Father, for turning my back on you, for running away from you, for going a different direction than you invited me to come. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, for coming to me, for saving me, for going to the cross, for dying and rising again to offer new life. And so please, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my life right now. I open the door of my heart to you right now. I don't want to make you wait any longer. And I don't want to wait any longer for myself. Surely there's more to the life that I've lived. Surely there is a destiny that I have not discovered. And so would you come in and lead me to that for I ask it in the name of Emmanuel. Now, with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, please, I want to ask you to do another brave thing. In a moment, I'm going to ask you if you would just stick your hand up because I would like to look out and see who you are and acknowledge that and pray for you in this new and exciting chapter of your spiritual life. So... If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just slip your hand up so that I can see it? Thank you. I see it, sir. I see it, sir. Thank you. And I see yours. Thank you. Father, I pray for these who have raised their hands to say, yes, I invited Jesus in. That's a very brave thing to do. And I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you will begin to lead them in this new life, this new path and that they will be delighted to discover in a real way that God chose to be with them we ask these things through Christ Amen. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to do this one more brave thing go to the wood wall when we are done share that with one of the pastors we have a gift that would help you in your journey forward and uh, and you might really consider Alpha. There's no better place to ask some of these deep questions than Alpha. I hope you will give that some consideration. Regardless, this is going to be a Christmas you never forget.